0: This is JMD Mateus and you're listening to Superior Spider Talk.
1: The Superior Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdin, and I'm the editor of the brand new GrindMyReels.com.
0: And I'm Mark Janakio, editor of the sustaining couple years old Chasing Amazing blog.
1: Well, I guess my site is a couple years old, but uh, it's got a new face, so...
0: It's new for now. <laughs> Continue, Thanks. Dan.
1: <laughs> Thanks for joining us for the 13th episode of Superior Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture.
0: Yes, and we also hope that you enjoyed our coverage of the Connecticut Comic-Con. And we're looking forward to hearing your feedback from all of our coverage of the event, which included interviews with uh, Jam DeMatteis, Tom DeFalco, Mark Bagley, Jim Salicrupp, and Danny Figaroff. If you haven't already listened to all five of those interviews, we do strongly encourage you to do so. All right, so for episode 13 for Superior Spider-Talk, we're going to be going back to our old format for all of you new listeners out here. Uh, in, in these episodes, we look at the new Superior Spider-Man comic book, uh, and Dan and I you know, analyze it, offer our thoughts on the story, the art, and all that. Um, for this issue, we're looking at Superior Spider-Man number 17. Uh, We then conclude the conversation by discussing a classic comic book from our collection. uh, To kind of keep with the theme of Superior 17, we're going to be discussing the inaugural issue of Spider-Man 2099, the first appearance of Miguel O'Hara.
1: And if you want to skip to a specific section, just use the chapter selection arrows on your player. Also, if you hear this sound... Please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image that will enhance your listening experience. You can always email us any comments or questions you have regarding this podcast to SuperiorSpiderTalk at gmail.com, and we'll read and answer them on the show. Also, don't forget to go to our iTunes page and leave us a review. The only way we grow as a community is through all of your reviews.
0: And also, make sure you check out our Facebook page, guys, at facebook.com slash Superior Spider Talk, because it's a great place to keep up with us in between shows, as we often put up articles that we've written, or other breaking news related to the Spider-Man universe. I believe Jim Salicrupp actually just liked our Facebook page, Dan. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, so good company to be in.
0: Yeah, you can be with the former group editor of Spider-Man, who hired Todd McFarlane, and and claims he botched the Hobgoblin reveal, although, I, you know, I... I I try not to hammer him too hard for that one.
1: (laughs) Well, let's get into our review of Superior Spider Man number 17.
0: It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen
1: closely.
0: Not for very much longer.
1: I've got to keep control.
0: So, Superior Spider-Man number 17. Uh, For those of you catching up, this is the first part of a uh, two-part arc uh, involving the return of Miguel O'Hara, a.k.a. Spider-Man 2099 to the Marvel mainstream universe. Um, What I really liked about this issue, I thought this was a really strong issue through and through. Uh, It was a very hyped issue. I thought, Dan, that this was probably the most hyped issue of Superior since, you know, both... Deaths of Peter, uh, which is kind of funny that this this of all issues was going to be the big thing, but you know apparently fans were clamoring for the return of Miguel O'Hara. Um, I was never a huge fan of Miguel, and we'll get we'll get to what my thoughts then of the 2099 series were, you know, later in the podcast. But um, I felt Dan Slott really did a great job uh, bringing. People up to speed who maybe either weren't fans of 2099 or just didn't know what the concept was. I mean, this was 1993, which, you know, I was a kid when this happened, so I'm sure there are plenty of readers out there who either weren't born yet or, or, uh, you know, or or, or just were in their infancy like you were at that point, right, Dan? In 93?
1: 93?
0: Well, okay, not infancy. You were, you were, you were probably a little younger than Normie Osborne, right?
1: I was seven.
0: Okay, you well, know, you know, that's that's like Normie age, right? Or do we not know yet?
1: I don't know. Uh, it's ambiguous. Here, he looks pretty young.
0: I know. <laughs> but uh, it, to me, it, it kind of felt like a good old fashioned two in one story, where like you know, we had the first half of the comic that really focused on Miguel, his circumstances, what was going to be bringing him into present day two thousand thirteen. And then um, once all that setup takes place, we we go right into the Spider-Man situation with Spider-Rock, the company softball team, Horizon Labs. Um, so in a weird way, it almost kind of kind of felt like a good value buy for me. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just um, getting a little little ahead of myself. But I thought that you know it was, it was a well-plotted issue. I thought the pacing was was good, and um, you know, two stories in one. What's wrong with that, right?
1: Yeah, I agree. And actually, what's funny, and we'll get back to this later, uh, but I can't help but bring it up now, is this issue to me almost feels like a mirror to uh, the first issue of Spider Man 2099. Um, it, you know, that one starts with a flash forward um, showing Spider Man dodging police through the city while gliding around. And this one does the same thing. I have to hand it to Stegman. Um, while this might be one of my least favorite issues that he's done, it's still got some glorious things in it. And the double-page spreads of Spider-Man 2099 zipping around the skyline—they pay direct homage uh, back to the first issue of Spider-Man 2099. I really appreciated that kind of like visual winking, and it was just a ton of fun to watch him go around the city again.
0: And Slot definitely mirrors Peter David's script from the uh, original comic book. I mean, just some of the the, the vernacular, the the what the shock. That seems to be the kind con- the the common phrase and um slot definitely has a great appreciation for this character and you know as i as i said when we started I, I wasn't necessarily one of those fans clamoring for the return of miguel o'hara but um i think if anybody could bring him back in a way that's effective and and, and worthwhile it's dan slot because he, he's clearly a fan of the character he, he seems to be having fun there's just a, there's a lot of fun in this issue i i you know i, I know that Dan always talks about being Dan. Dan being Dan Slott. Now, I know Dan Gavaz is one of the biggest Spider-Man fans too. But Dan Slott always talks about being one of the biggest Spider-Man fans out there, um, and you know he certainly knows his continuity. Um, but but clearly that also extends to the the uh, the B universe as well, and um, it, it just just the fact that it, the tone mirrored it um, both visually and and verbally. I think it was just a really good honor to, to this series, which, you know, now I'm starting to think I might have underappreciated when it first came out.
1: What uh is so interesting to me is how the cards seem to have lined up perfectly for this story to be told. You know, back when we first heard about this story and uh you and I suspected that he would be traveling through the time door and that was you know became uh very true here. Um, you know, we, we had no idea about the Age of Ultron and all that stuff and um, and and how Alchemax would play into this. And there's so many things that, like, he's been seeding for so long to make this story happen. It just sounds... What's the most amazing about this issue and I think could be very easily missed is just how natural it feels for something that should be so, like unnatural or seemingly forced you know to bring this additional character into it it just feels like a natural progression of the story
0: yeah absolutely i i mean that's that's a key point for me is that you know we've been talking about this whole concept for months and for me my biggest reservation was well how is this going to be integrated and you know dan i know you didn't read age of ultron but let me tell you something i mean regardless You know this whole idea of the timeline being ripped apart—it's—it's a pretty cool concept. But Age of Ultron number ten was terrible. It was a terrible, terrible comic book that has very few redeeming qualities in terms of how it was constructed. It was basically one big commercial for a bunch of new series. So the fact that you know when when interviews started coming out last month that this was going to tie into that, I was like, all right, how exactly is this going to tie into it? But the fact of the matter is. It makes sense it's logical it's there's at no point was i sitting there saying wait why are we why why is this happening why why is miguel coming back and why is otto going after tiberius stone like like the the, the pieces of the puzzle all fit in together obviously with Alchemex, uh they seem to be planting the seeds there with some kind of i guess merger between alan chemical with our good friend liz allen and uh max model, right? So there's your Alchemax, right? Am I am I am I leaping to too many conclusions here, Dan?
1: Well, that's an amazing uh combo that he's pulled off there and but since when has Liz Allen owned a company named Alchem? Am I did I miss that?
0: If if you missed it, I missed it too. Um I I for whatever reason I was just happy to see Liz cuz you know, old-time supporting cast member. I I always kind of Liked the character, um, you know. She was the, the pretty girl that felt sorry for Pete back in those Midtown High days. Um, so I think just seeing her, and of course Normie, and we're going to get some stuff with Normie because I am I am going crazy with Normie right now. But it was just I I think I just dropped the ball on the on the alchemical thing. So um, you know, listeners, if if you know the fact here, please please email one of us because I'm as less as on this.
1: Yeah, I I don't remember it at all and I feel like a less of a fan, but I mean even in the last time we saw her in the Molten Man issues, I don't remember that being brought up. They were living in the suburbs away and hiding her uncle. Like what is really bringing you back here? And if there's one real kind of down note to this thing, I I thought it was the introdu- introduction of of her. She's very cold and um you know, not really doesn't really say anything to Peter and I thought for characters with a history that deep, I would have expected more of, a, of an introduction. And I think these scenes are when um, Stegman's art gets the most muddled here. I'm not really sure what to look at in these crowded frames of people um, or who they're referring to. And I, and I wonder just can we scale down on the number of people in each frame?
0: Yeah, because – yeah, I, I know what you're saying. And of course, I mean on the, on the same point, Peter slash Otto didn't really – Engage her at all either,
1: yeah, exactly, but we don't know how much he knows about that because yeah. he seemingly doesn't even know how his spider sense works in this issue, which I thought was kind of interesting,
0: yeah, well, i mean it, that's that's actually an interesting point because we really haven't had much of the spider Rock using Spider-Sense, have we? I mean, he's kind of just dominated everything. He's, he's had Auto-Sense, you know, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to anticipate every move that you make. So Spider-Sense is irrelevant.
1: Yeah, um, for those of you who use the AR uh, app when reading this comic, they had a whole sequence about the Spider-Sense and how it worked and how Ock doesn't quite know how it works. So I wonder if that's almost a tip of the hat as to... Something coming down the line that he doesn't understand how the spider sense can alert him to threats necessarily. And speaking of threats and spider right. sense,
0: yeah, yeah, are we, are we about to talk about some normie action here?
1: I think we're going to have to because
0: okay, look, can I can I ramble about this for a second here? Yeah,
1: yeah, go for it.
0: Um, because okay, so for for those of you who are just tuning into Spider Talk for the first time here, um, I think it was in our very first episode, Dan theorized that maybe the new Green Goblin who has not been unmasked, but, you know, no one seems to want to confirm that it's Norman Osborn, that it could possibly be Normie. Um, and, and, of the, course, the...
1: Just to give me some some credit here, we hadn't seen the size of the Green Goblin at this point. We'd only seen the mask and the feet.
0: Right. Um, but here's the thing, man. So, okay, the, the, big, the big hole to punch through that theory is that, you know, clearly the Goblin's an adult and Normie is still a very young child. But we had two different panels in this issue, in Superior 17, where Otto is in the panel, his spider sense is going off, and Normie is there and Tiberius Stone. Now, Otto is, of course, going to Tiberius Stone, thinking he's the threat, that he's the one he needs to respond to. But Normie's there, too. And then there's that one panel towards the very end where... Normie goes, I know – something along the lines of, I, I, I know you or I know who you are. You're a very bad man. Am I, am I right You're on that? You're absolutely correct. And when we first saw the Green Goblin in Superior 4, 5, 4, it was the first massacre issue. Yes. You know, he said, nobody knows Spider-Man as well as I do. Dan, I don't – maybe is he in a costume with lifts? Is it prosthetics? Something's going on here. This is this is this is this is either either slot is totally baiting us, or there's something to this.
1: Well, yeah, I, uh, I can't I can't put my finger on it. Like, do we think that the Green Goblin could be Harry? The word "daddy" is him creating like a new legacy. It, that doesn't make sense to me because we saw him back in Amazing Spider-Man 697. He was in Seattle with his child. And I don't know why he would come back, especially with that characterization that Slot gave him. Liz, I, for a second there, I thought, well, maybe Liz is the Green Goblin, and but that's not true because she definitely like says that Spidey is a friend of hers in this issue and lets him off the hook. So the only person who seems to be antagonistic is Normie. But I cannot see them saying, like, oh, it's Normie in that costume. It's so odd. I don't know how this child gets away from his mother to be the Green Goblin. It has me baffled. But I'm still sticking to my guns and saying Normie is so wrapped up in this and that he was the one that was in the hospital back in 697.
0: Well, you know, we had Normie all suited up in this issue. Maybe he's bankrolling him. I, I, I don't know. I, I I'm like – I know. How does a kid bankroll some a supervillain? But like, because the other thing is, you know, there's been so much emphasis from slot on how the Green Goblin has been evading Otto's senses. I mean, you know, from the get go, we knew that the tank, the the story of Superior Spider Man was going to be a story of of Otto Otto thinking he's superior, but his hubris and ego getting the better of him. And like to me, this seems to be getting laid out on a plate. Of course, he's not going to suspect the little snot-nosed kid, but and but uh, I don't know. Like I, I'm with you. It's like, how is this logistically possible? But like, the evidence is really starting to mount there.
1: But at the same time, and now Slot is not a subtle writer, and he will admit it. And he did in his Twitter this week that that subtlety is not his thing, but. Even then, this is like, like you said, handing it to us on a plate. Like, do you really think the most obvious? Well, that's the thing. We say the most obvious, but like, it doesn't make any sense. Like that this kid would be the Green Goblin. I, I, I just don't know. Like, but what, is it,
0: I, but is it obvious? Because the thing is, you know, we have a spider sense going off, but Kyberia's Stone is in the panel. So, but like, the thing is, the stone really actually caused a threat. To see, you know, if Otto doesn't understand how the Spider-Sense works, I mean, the Spider-Sense recognizes threats, not bad people. You know, and Tiberius Stone is certainly not a physical threat to Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, but the panel is pretty clear. It is just Normie in the the, uh, picture with the Spider-Sense going off.
0: Yeah, but the very next panel is Tiberius, I think.
1: Yes, no, absolutely, you're correct.
0: Um, so that, I mean, trust me, I, 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 in my, my blog post on this, I agonized over the sequence because I'm like, this is, it doesn't make sense. And yet it does. So I'm, I'm standing by you, Dan. I think, I think if it's not Normie, Normie is like 95% elbows deep in this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like,
1: I feel so bad condemning this kid, but I did condemn him. Thirteen episodes or twelve episodes to go, so I guess I'm going to stick with it. But I'm growing increasingly doubting it because it seems obvious, or like at the same time, like what? So I don't know. I I don't know where to go with this. But I'm guess I have to stick with my original uh, uh, prognostication. Although I did get something right, and it was confirmed in this issue, and that is Mark.
0: Oh yes, T- Tiberius Stone's relation to Tyler Stone from Alchemax, right?
1: Yeah, and I was right on the money. It's his grandfather.
0: You are the man. So Applause, applause, applause.
1: Yeah, uh Lady Gaga, thank you. <laughs>
0: um just just to kind of bounce back a little bit. Um I just uh other other fun scenes from this issue. Um Spider-Rock playing softball anyone? Like was that not just Brilliant, slapstick. I don't know. It was a lot of
1: fun to see him not know the rules of baseball, but still kind of knock it out of the park.
0: Yes, and then have his teammates be like, "Just a softball game, man. Just a softball. You, you're an ass." Or would they call him an ass, or or something along those lines? I, I, it just, I, I, I really enjoyed it.
1: I also liked how you know you and I have been complaining or not really complaining, but commenting on how we felt like Peter Parker was missing for a while and he was kind of disconnected from Horizon Labs. And that actually ha- serves a story purpose in this. we He is disconnected and doesn't know what's been happening there and the lawsuits and um, we have an arrest warrant out for Max Modell. Um, he's completely missed out on this stuff and, and we see how his life has completely slipped away from him. At the same time, it was nice to see Anna Maria... Um, at the softball game, cheering him on, even if she was drawn like a five-year-old kid.
0: Yeah, I just said she looked a little younger than Normie. I think. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe Anna Marie's the Green Goblin. No, I'm kidding. That would be terrible.
1: That would actually be terrible.
0: <laughs> but maybe Normie kills Anna Marie. <laughs> Throws her off a bridge, a footbridge. <laughs> Okay, right.
1: we're I'm we're going <laughs> into we're going to dark territory here.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Um, so um, other other thoughts from this issue. Um, well, the I, thought I, bubble uh, set slot used. that was pretty cool. I mean, he seemed to be kind of balancing that between old and new characters, right?
1: Yeah, I would say so. It's interesting how it comes up. The last time we saw it was with Cardiac, um, and I wonder if it's just he's like pulling things out from like the '90s and stuff, and giving them thought bubbles. I don't know. Those have seemingly disappeared from Marvel Comics, and it's weird to see them back here. And I think it was useful to kind of set up the, like all the exposition, which is a bit heavy in the beginning, but I think it's kind of necessary to get people to understand who this character is if they aren't familiar with him. I mean, it has been a while since we've seen him, um, but an interesting choice to use thought bubbles again. I guess it's just his callback to the 90s.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're going to revisit an origin issue 20 years later, I think you kind of have to go heavy on the exposition. Um, now,
1: now, do you think that this this uh, next issue is going to be basically around the idea that Ock is going to try to kill Stone, um, and uh, O'Hara has to defend him because if Stone dies, then his grandfather dies, and he doesn't exist, and Alchemax never happens. I mean, this merger of of Alchem and uh, Horizon is going to have to happen for the 2099 universe to happen but at the same time we've seen that solicit from the future where it looks like 2099 Spider-Man is disappearing so could it be that he gets erased altogether in this story arc?
0: Um, well once again the issue does promise major changes <laughs> for the universe so there's always that um, you know, I'm always... I, I've been going back to lately... What was it? Um, in Avenging Spider-Man 16, when, like, the... What was it? Like, the time cops came in, and, and we're talking a little bit about some of the dire consequences of what Spider-Man was up to. Uh, that was in the FF issue. Um, maybe it's got something to do with that.
1: Maybe. It'll be interesting to see them again. I thought they were fun there. Yeah. And they know very clearly that it's Doc Ock in that uh, suit.
0: Oh, of course. Um so that's yeah, I mean it could be it could be about killing tiberius stone i i don't i don't yeah, I mean, but like you said you you would think that this merger was gonna go through, um, so I mean,
1: do you think they would be so bold as to just get rid of spider man twenty ninety nine
0: I don't think so because I, I i think that if um if you could put someone like at the title, they could probably sell a series and and do. Do well with it. I mean, I mean, if they could do a series around Kane, and I mean, now granted, it's a poor-selling series at this point; it doesn't have much time left. But I, I would have to think if these two issues are warmly received and and sell well, that they would be foolish to to, to cut that off. I mean, why would why would they? I mean, unless they. They eliminate him and then do like prequel type stories or something. I don't know. But I I, I think there's there's opportunity them for for Marvel in terms of sales. So I don't see them doing a strict elimination.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting because either that merger is going to happen and we know how Alchemax was started or some other rewrite is going to happen wherein Miguel O'Hara can still become Spider-Man 2099. Should be interesting. I'm looking forward to reading it. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Now you mentioned, just to jump a little bit to the art here, you mentioned that it wasn't the strongest segment issue. I I agree with you. To me, I I mean, I know, Dan, you normally get a little more detailed about your impressions of the artwork here. I mean, so my big broad stroke here was I just felt like things were lacking the polish that they had in earlier issues.
1: Yeah, there were moments that I really liked. Like any time we saw Spider-Man 2099 and the texture on his suit, I thought was really fantastic. But um, I think a lot of the talking head stuff was kind of muddled, and it could maybe it's the inking.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. The, the The Goblin. There was one panel, and I think this was part of the preview art too, um, that I was a little disappointed in, where it's it's Spider Rock on like on top of a car. And it just it just looked sloppy. I, I, that's just the word that I keep coming back to. it it it, it wasn't the lines weren't as crisp as we'd seen from Segment and earlier issues. so yeah, and, I agree. And, and, you know, clearly they've been building towards this issue for a very long time. Um, and if it was preview art, it certainly wasn't an issue of a deadline. So I, I don't know what the deal is.
1: I'm, I'm putting it on, I think, the inking. I, I, looking back at this book, I'm just not really like liking the way the lines are compared to how I've seen them in the past.
0: Um, so, but,
1: Mark, uh, do you do you want to tell us what your grade is?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I gave this um, a B plus. I like this just as much as I like Superior Sixteen, and I'm really looking forward to the uh, the conclusion of this arc next issue.
1: Yeah, I'm going to give it a B. Uh, I like this one quite a bit. I think um, it's a so- strong issue, but it's a setup issue. I think it's been it's been a lot of time kind of moving things forward, and now I'm looking forward to the conflict. Like that's where things finally meet up. I'm excited about that. And to find out what the Goblin's plan is that he's apparently going to put into order.
0: Yeah, no, this is, this is going to, I think this is going to be a fun arc. I think this is probably going to end up being one of the better arcs on Superior for 2013. And that's saying something because they've all been pretty good outside of a couple, right?
1: Correct. So
0: now that we talked about Spider-Man 2099 in 2013, why don't we go back in time and talk about Spider-Man 2099 in 1993? With While our also
1: going to the future.
0: While also going to the future. We're all over. We're, the, time, the timeline has ripped into 40 pieces here, Dan. But on to Spider-Man 29 issue one. So what were your thoughts on
1: this one, Dan? I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I haven't read this in quite a while. I didn't read it when I was seven. I read it several years ago. But I enjoyed it quite a bit. I love stories that exist in this kind of future. Uh, It's not super realistic. And, oh, my God, if 2099 looks like this, I will be quite surprised. But it reminds me a lot of kind of like the alien Blade Runner version of the future, the kind of like dirty... Um, hologram filled flying car filled future that will never happen, but is a fun fantasy to ex- jump into and um, I mean everything here is kind of fun from the way they speak, which is only slightly altered and will probably be less weird than how we 're going to be talking in two thousand and ninety nine um, but uh, yeah i I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, how about you mark
0: agreed i mean the, the funny thing for me is you know I have this very, I shouldn't say famous story, because it's only famous to people who read my site. Um, in, in the early 90s, I, I had a local comic book shop, and um, I was really looking to fill holes in my Spider-Man collection, so I kept trying to sell him other comics that I own, non-Spider-Man comics, so I could buy more Spider-Man comics. And I took my copy of Beavis and Butthead number 1, great collector's item and the guy was like, "Look, I'm not I'm not giving you money for it." But he's like, "I can resell it for 20 bucks. Take 20 issues off the, the the rack and we'll call it a deal." And I was like, "Fine." So I picked up a bunch of like ASMs and spectaculars, but one of the issues I picked up was Spider-Man 2099 number 1. And I just remember flipping through it and being like, "That's not Peter Parker. I don't care." <laughs> And that was that, and, and I don't think I ever opened it again until years later, many years later, until we found out that that they were doing the story, and I was like, all right, let me let me find out what I missed here, and it's it's funny until very recently I didn't even realize this was Peter David, who I think is a great writer, <laughs> so I was like, all right, it's Peter David, that that automatically lets me give it the benefit of the doubt no matter what. Um, and this, this is a pretty cool origin story. I could definitely, if I, if this came out today, I would definitely be interested in reading it. Which I, I think yeah, I
1: would be reading it. Yeah,
0: um, I, I think it's a, it's a unique concept. I think it's fun. Um, there are enough parallels between Peter and Miguel O'Hara where there's some familiarity to it. But then there's a lot of differences. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned the, the Blade Runner Alien version of the future. Um, you know, for me. I I was kind of Chuckling to myself Because I feel like I don't know Whenever you get These kind of Futuristic uh, Fantasy stories We always end up Getting this version Of the future (laughs) It's it's always Flying cars and, And big Glitzy advertisements And dystopian Themes And not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know i i part of me would wonder if they if they did revive the series if I don't know maybe we can get away from that a little bit i I just feel like that's at this point it's pretty tired to get that kind of futuristic version of things again I don't know, maybe I'm just being too cynical about it,
1: yeah, maybe, and i I always want more movies and stuff like that because I feel like. Uh, those were my favorite sci-fi from back in the day, but um, I think this works particularly well with the the coloring, the setting, because you kind of have these neon colors, like in like full like color pastes across humans, and I just love the way that it looked and the the yellow holograms. You know what's great about this book? It's a fully realized universe without like being like this is the future. It's very you know. Uh, it sets itself up casually, and you just get to see little human things unfold that tell you about all the advances in technology and, and so on. And I, and I think it's really smart storytelling.
0: Yeah, and just for your history buffs out there, I mean, what I always found interesting about the 2099 concept was, um, you know, back in the Jim Shooter days of Marvel, he was always pushing for, like, this alternative universe uh, you know where he could reboot a bunch of series and you know nobody wanted to reboot you know the general 616 universe as we call it today but then they you know after Shooter left they started introducing these 2099 titles and I think what ultimately ended up kind of realizing Shooter's vision was ironically the ultimate universe but um I feel this is a pretty cool go between you know in terms of it's not it's not quite 616 but it's not ultimate it's 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 It really is its own thing.
1: I thought – talking about Ultimate Spider-Man, like that book, you know, you knew Peter Parker, and the first story didn't have to get to him being Spider-Man. He could get bit and find out that he could stick to a wall, and that's it. Um, In this one, they do something really smart, I thought, which was tease the future of this character without fully revealing how he got there yet. So the end of the book really, like, makes you wonder – well, how is this going to work out? Like, how is he going to get this suit? How is he going to become this character I saw at the beginning? Um, and and I it really makes you want to keep reading uh, because the story's not done yet, you know. Right. And and we know where it's going to go, but no idea how it gets there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the only issue I would have with this in terms of an origin, and, and you know, I gotta for full disclosure, I kind of jumped ahead. A couple of issues, and read the first three, which is kind of like the full origin here, uh, in anticipation of us talking about it tonight. And I still don't get that sense as to why Miguel is Spider Man. Um, you Other know, than
1: his fascination with the character,
0: right? You, you know what I mean? Like, like with 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 Peter, there was power and responsibility. You know, with with you know, it it felt more like. I mean, that idea of responsibility to me, like, I mean, that's that's always what's made Spider-Man such a great character to to read about Um, this fact that, you know, he doesn't necessarily want to be this hero. He has to be. And not that I expected a similar parallel with Miguel, but, you know, he he gets genetically altered here because he gets drugged which was also interesting. I I I don't know how I feel about how that was kind of the setup for why Miguel had to undergo the experimentation to get this with well, the rapture drug that they call it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a smart move of some a character like Tyler Stone to do. I mean, he wants this guy to be in his employ forever and he can you know, fix him up with a drug that he's addicted to that only he supplies. You know, it seems like something a ruthless businessman would do to force someone to work for him. But yeah, it does seem very like, uh, like comics code Beatty.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, the, the funny thing is, you know, again, this was written in 93, you know, you flash forward 20 years and a concept like that actually seems to have some relevance in terms of like, you know, like what the pharmaceutical companies have become today and how, you know, we, we, you know, we, we market, drugs to people and there are questions about the side effects and, you know, do does your heart medication make you more addicted to heart medication and things like that? And the fact that Rapture is this legally distributed substance by Alchemax, but it's also extraordinarily addicting <laughs> to the fact that it bonds to your DNA, um, it, there's a little bit of, I guess... <laughs> Uh, forward thinking by Peter David here. I don't. I don't know if the pharmaceutical issues of '93 were quite online with what we're dealing with today.
1: Yeah, for uh, most for most of his time, I I have to respect Peter David. He was always an intellectual Spider-Man writer.
0: Oh, without question. I mean, he, he he definitely had the most one of the most unique takes. I mean, you know, he was doing this at a time where we also had you know DeMatteis, who had a very cerebral look, and then. Um, you know uh Roger Stern of course you know 10 years earlier but um it was it's it's an interesting concept but like i don't know part of me kind of said wait a second so it's it's going to be a drug that re- that 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 creates all this i mean again it almost seems more in line with the origin from ultimate
1: yeah um, yeah except in that one they do bring the responsibility in although it's interesting you mentioned this because i had the same uh feelings about uh, Miles Morales, where for it, tons of issues, we never really had a reason for him to be Spider-Man outside of seeing Peter Parker die and offhandedly hearing about power and responsibility, but it was never personal. And it took 25 issues for that, uh, that meaning to really sink in and um, for him to come to a reason to be Spider-Man. And I love that, actually, the delayed... Uh, reasoning for why he has to be spider-man it makes sense for a kid his age but for someone like miguel o'hara yeah we never really got to that true reasoning for why this guy had to do this
0: yeah and and maybe we do eventually i mean i I admittedly have not read beyond the first three issues here i i I, that that was what was in my marvel u app those are the only three issues i'm assuming they're probably going to release more uh, in time to coincide with these stories at some point but you know Marvel U kind of does their they scheduling at their own pace. Um
1: did you love Rick Leonardi's artwork as much as I did?
0: I did. I really did. I, I, and and I hope I'm not becoming too crazy with the praise but like the splash pages with with Miguel in the suit kind of evokes Ramita for me. I don't uh, know,
1: especially in how he does his his shading and the character constructs, I think, are very similar.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, and Ramita, is, you know, the old classic is my favorite Spider-Man artist. So seeing some of those splash pages in this issue were really breathtaking for me. I, I, I loved it. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's just the entire character design. It's a really great character design. The costume. Um, the fangs, the claws, everything. Like, I, I just really like it. It's, 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 I mean, you know, I think when they were interviewing Ryan Stegman about doing the superior issues, you know, they asked him if they were going to change, if he was changing the costume at all. And he was kind of like, ah, it's pretty damn perfect. And I agree with that. This is a really perfect character uh, uh, construction here for me.
1: You know what I was thinking when I was reading it is of uh, Spider-Man The Lost Year's. Uh, that kind of art style from Romita Jr., I really uh, enjoyed that series and and the kind of gritty vision that it had. And uh, there's some panels in this that really remind me a lot of that. So I was kind of tickled to see these again.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, well, Dan, um, like I said earlier in the podcast, I'd be very interested to see a new series about 2099 and, and certainly going back and reading these old issues only confirms that.
1: Yeah, we should go back to the future, if you will.
0: Oh, puntacular. Um, <laughs> you want to get to some feedback for the podcast, Dan? Yeah,
1: let's do it. So, uh, as you know, if you guys go onto our iTunes page, listeners, you can leave us a review for our show, and we're going to read it on the air for you. So, uh, Mark, do you want to read our one comment that we got this time?
0: All right, let's do it. We have uh, – the title of it is Great Podcast. We got five out of five stars um, by – and I'm not, I don't know how you pronounce this uh, phonetically, so I'm just going to spell it out. D-F-R-Y-A-R. I tried listening to other Spider-Man podcasts, but they seem to mainly complain about the superior run. You guys are great. You approach your reviews and discussions from a mature viewpoint and use your knowledge of Spider-Man to highlight the depth in the stories and art that I don't always pick up on. Um, I, of course, would agree with him about that we're great. (laughs) And
1: (laughs) I'm going to take a great argument over that.
0: Yeah. So, um, but but we do appreciate the feedback, and um, you know, just as a quick diversion, it, it's it's not so much about complaining or whatever. I mean, you know, Dan and I we're, we're fans. We, we, I you know, we try and be open minded about stuff and, and 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 talk about stuff from an intellectual standpoint when it comes to Spider Man. We like to think, so it's always good to kind of get these comments that confirm that. Um, you know, it's not about. You know, being fanboys or being haters, you know? It's just, it's just about talking comics, right?
1: Yeah, and having fun. I mean, it's a hobby of ours, and we enjoy it. And one of the things that I really picked up from uh, doing the interview with Jim Salacroft, which you should all listen to, is he kind of made an offhand joke about going from Amazing Fantasy fifteen to today's modern comics and trying to find one singular line of condensed logic that connects all the books together and one coherent storyline, and that it 's never going to work out and I think with reading comics, you have to kind of give them a you know a little grain of salt i mean obviously we we would love it if if everything made sense, but like i 'm here to read some good stories and and see where an art an artist and a writer take me and uh, i 'm looking to have a good time with it, so I try not to get hung up too much on the negatives. But I, I do think you know we we should still be critical, obviously.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean I think I think we though as fans Dan, have a have a tendency to pick a couple of personal favorite stories and kind of hold that to the standard as this is how it has to be. And the thing is, no, that's not how it has to be. It, it, it hasn't. You know, it's been radically different from that many, many, many times over. I mean, there are thousands of Spider-Man comics out there. You know, just because there are 10 storylines that we hold higher than others doesn't mean that those other thousands of comic books are bad or wrong for doing it differently. And I think that's just what we try and pick up on.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I also think people tend to have a, uh, a skepticism towards new and things that are happening right now. I think people always like to complain about... The things that they have to ingest, well, things in the past were always better. Well, they were better probably because you were younger and you remember them a bit rosier. And, I mean, I can look back on Spider-Man and, you know, if if I didn't love the character, like, I wouldn't have stayed. But there are some bad storylines. I'll bring up, like, The War of the Lizards or or (laughs) things like that that, like, you know, are some of my least favorite storylines. But, you know... Books will rise and fall, and you got to see what you like about it or not read it anymore, really.
0: I mean, for me, Dan, it's like I always talk about Amazing Spider-Man 300 as, like, my favorite. And, you know, that's Michelini and McFarlane. And, you know, I think for nostalgic purposes, it still remains my favorite issue. But when I read other issues as part of their creative run... There are just some real dogs in there. So it's like, you know, it kind of gives you pause. Like, is this, is this what I really remember it to be? I mean, you know, but anyway, we're we're really digressing here. How about that email we got, Dan?
1: Yeah, you can also send us emails at superiorspidertalk at gmail.com. And you have a question or a comment that you want us to read, uh, we're going to do it. And we have a couple questions here that I think are kind of interesting. So this is the email that we got. It's, uh, it's from Tim Q., And he says, uh, hey, guys, enjoy your podcast. Keep up the superior work. I've been a comic book guy most of my life, but not a Spidey guy. I started collecting Spider-Man when Peter died, and I'm loving Doc Ock as Spider-Man. Peter is a little too whiny for my taste, and when he comes back, I probably won't stay. But I'm enjoying the roller coaster. Heard your last podcast about Venom getting canceled, teardrop. So uh, his question is, when Peter does come back, and we all know he will... What do you guys think will happen to Doc Ock? So that's the first question. Do you want to address that one first?
0: Um, sure. I mean, this this is an interesting question. Um, I I think Doc Ock is going to stay on at some point. I mean, you know, one thing that I one theory that I've seen kind of get brandied about regarding the resolution of Superior is, you know, will. Peter come back in in another body, so to speak, or a clone or whatever, and would would they keep Otto on as the superior Spider-Man? And, you know, yeah, he's a true villain, so, you know, and he probably deserves to get crushed under the weight of a thousand stones for what he's done to Peter, but I, I think the character is becoming really popular, and I think that, that that might be a little pig-headed for them to just get rid of him too rashly. So, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to see him stay on, maybe in another body or something like that, um, since his Doc Ock body is clearly defunct. But uh, I think he stays around.
1: Yeah, and I'm of the other mindset. I, I, I think Doc Ock is going to go. Uh, I think <laughs> I think this is going to lead up to either he has one moment with uh, Anna Marie or somebody that he cares about and he makes a sacrifice or maybe finally learns what it's like to be Spider-Man or does one good action that, like, you know, he, or he saves Peter or, or something. But I, I want to see him go out with an interesting note and I think this story is building to that. I mean, we've had Doc Ock die and nearly die and I kind of just want to see him die, you know? And, and I would love to see Dan Slott make a really, like, well, I, I dare I dare not say permanent, but uh, I would like to see him make a big impact with the uh, a character, and he's certainly not uh, shy about killing off characters. So, I think I think Ak is gonna get is gonna kick the bucket. <laughs> okay. But uh, Tim seems to think that he'll be like a clone, like Ben Riley. Not maybe not necessarily a clone, but like like you dropping in and out of the Spidey universe. Um, like you said there, Mark. So um, he seems to be on your side. So, hey, I'm, uh, I seem to be outmatched here.
0: Um, well, my, two, two people's opinion against one. I, I would hardly call that out, outmatched for right now.
1: Okay. Well, then maybe another fight for another time, listeners. Um, he says, I know you guys have been collecting Spider-Man for years and have seen many story arcs. Would you not agree that this is a fantastic arc? I mean, it has flaws, but no other comic is doing something like this. Think about it. Joker defending Gotham, this is pretty brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean,
0: I'm I'm down with the Superior Era. I mean, like, I, I you know, the you know, as he said, some there there have been some flawed issues, but this is a cool storyline. I, I mean, what I've always said from the beginning is that as long as there are interesting stories to tell involving Doc Ock as Spider Man, I'm on board. But once we get too many issues in a row that are kind of like the infamous Shadowland issue, like 14, where it's just, you know, a Michael Bay movie with crap blowing up and him standing triumphant, that's when the the concept gets tired for me. But, you know, fortunately there hasn't been that many consecutive missteps. It, you know, it seems like, okay, we got 2099 and then we're going to have Venom and then we're going to have Black Cat. And maybe we'll have Cain again before this is all said and done. And you know, we, th- there seems to be stories to be told here. So I'm I'm down for as long as we got new things to explore.
1: Yeah, and I I can't say that I haven't seen this concept. I mean, not this exact concept done before, but you know, Batman did it with Azrael, and um, there's been similar things to it. But yeah, I think this is interesting, and I think it will be remembered as a as a key part of the spider-man story you know one of those things we look back on is the superior era you know like it, it'll be an interesting thing to look back on and, and i'm enjoying it quite a bit i always complain that superhero stories often get stale and they always need a writer with a vision you know no matter what that vision is I'm, i i prefer a writer who wants to do something different you know rather than doing reiterative stories of You know, superhero fights supervillain and saves the day, or doesn't, or whatever. This feels like a big creative step in another direction, and why not take those things to these characters? They've proven to be elastic before, especially Spider-Man. I like getting something new.
0: Tell us about uh, Baltimore.
1: Well, uh, this past weekend, I got to go to the Baltimore Comic-Con and uh, had a lot of fun, as I always do. For listeners who don't know, I'm actually from the Baltimore area, and the Baltimore Comic-Con is a huge Comic-Con, actually much bigger than the Connecticut uh, Comic-Con that we went to the, uh, the other weekend. And um, I got to interview a bunch of really great Spider-Man artists and writers from all different decades. So I'm going to be putting up some podcasts with my interviews with them. So if you liked our interviews in the past, get ready for uh, a bunch more. So um, that's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and, uh, I'm really sorry I missed it with you there. And, uh, you know, I, I was just a big loser about it. But hopefully hopefully I'll have some exciting con news to announce in a couple more weeks related to something that's not in Baltimore. But we, in the meantime, I'm glad you had such a good time. And, and also, Chase in amazing because uh, I made Dan write, write some stuff for my site, too, because uh, I really wanted to get his perspectives from his trip.
1: I did, I did So uh, yeah, look forward to that uh, A bunch of cool, exclusive stuff Straight from your buddies at Superior Spider Talk
0: Bam And speaking of which, Dan Let's take us home
1: Well, uh, you can find me at on Twitter At, at Dan Gavazdin, And you can check out my movie reviews On grindmyreels.com How about you, Mark? Where can I find your stuff online
0: me i am at www.chasingamazingblog.com uh all through the month of september uh once you get past all the hobgoblin crap i've been writing about for the last 300 years uh we're going to be celebrating the 50th anniversary of x-men and avengers with some lookbacks at some spider-man and avenger and x-men crossovers um you can also follow me on twitter at chasing asm blog And you can find my gimmick or good column at comics should be good at comic book resources.
1: And of course, you can find all of our Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.podomatic.com or find us on iTunes by searching for Superior Spider Talk or just Spider-Man. And if you do, please leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll be sure to read it on the air as we just have. And if you have any questions or opinions or anything at all, you can ask them to us at superiorspidertalk at gmail.com and we'll address and read them on the air. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com superiorspidertalk
0: Well, Dan, as always, we had a great time today talking about Superior Spider-Man number 17 and Spider-Man in 2099, the origin issue. Uh, so before you all sign off let's just remember the advice of good old uncle ben with great podcasts comes superior spider talk